Mask Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. Well, we now know the two teams that will play in Super Bowl 53. Welcome in to our latest edition of the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to the underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday and Wolf Wolf as we had not one, but two underdogs not only cover but win the game as the road team to make Super Bowl 53. I am your somewhat capable host. He is senior handicapper and writer VegasInsider.com. Kevin Rogers, glad that you found us here as part of Three Dog Thursday. We're at Three Dog Thursday on Twitter. And of course, you can subscribe to this show via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. If you've just found the show through RadioInfluence.com. Kevin, good to have you. And in the words of Gomer Pyle from the old uh, television comedy with Jim Neighbors and company, uh, surprise, surprise, we get two road teams that win between the Rams and New Orleans and then the Patriots and the Chiefs. And we got overtimes in both games, sir. Wow. Yeah, don't tell the Saints fans they lost, because apparently they didn't lose. The game's actually getting rescheduled for Sunday, so we need to preview that. Uh, Let me ask so you this I mean, question. Yeah. Would you have a better chance of having aliens land on your front lawn Sunday afternoon than this game being resumed with a minute and a half left with both teams back in the Superdome? Which Give me the odds. You're the odds guy. Which is better, the aliens on the front lawn or the resumption of the game? I'm not sure which. I, I can think of a lot of things that would more likely happen to me than this. This is, I mean, when you talk about 0% chance, I mean, 0.0000% chance this is happening again. The game's going to be replayed. Stop the crying. Stop all of it. You lost. Your Hall of Fame quarterback threw an interception in overtime. You scored 10 points in the final three quarters. You blew a 13-0 lead. It was the biggest home field advantage in the NFL. Just stop the crying. You lost the game. You have your Super Bowl win. Just be quiet. Let the Rams have it. The Rams kicked a 57-yard field goal in overtime. Just let it go. You lost. As some have said, take the L. I know it's tough on the Saints fans. I, I get the fact that uh, they the call was obviously wrong. You're not saying that. But what you are saying, I'm speaking for you, is there was a lot of game before that, and there was still game after that, including Kevin, almost glossed over. We're about three days at the time we're taping Three Dog Thursday. We're three days removed from the game. I, I can't get over how much everybody wants to gloss over. You took the lead with the field goal. There's a minute something left. Jared Goff has never played in, much less won a road playoff game. With your crowd in full throat, you as the Saints can't keep him from driving the team down the field to tie the game again with a field goal. That I mean, forget about the call itself. That's just as egregious to me. You had a chance to end that game on defense, Kevin, against an unproven playoff commodity in golf, and you couldn't do it at home. So I'm with you in that regard. Number one, no one at all, even the Rams, no one is disputing the call. It was the wrong call. It should have been a pass interference. The defender even said, so everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. So I'm not out here saying, oh, no, it was interference. No, everyone knows interference. But here's the point. If you watch sports, okay, things happen in games. You do not lose a game on one call. The only time I can remember somebody losing a game on a call, basically like a call was made and it changed everything, and I'm not even a fan of them, I'm just speaking facts, is the Miami Ohio State Fiesta Bowl? There you go. The game was over. There you they were go. taking hands, and there's a flag on the field where you think you have the game one. The Saints still had to kick a field goal. They still had two minutes left. Like there was still time left in the game, and, and it's not like the officials gave the Rams the victory with that call or non-call. Like there was still so much that had to happen that you can't say, "Well, replay the whole thing." Why? So Greg Zerline misses that 57-yard field goal, and the Saints go down and score. Everything's okay. Like enough with it like drew Brees had an opportunity first possession overtime he got picked off he's great he's a hall of famer but he blew it they blew it and sean payton the genius they all blew it they didn't execute 
they lost. That's it. The hashtag is blue dat, by the way, that's been circulating for three days Here's now. Instead of, instead of go who dat, it's <laughs> go, go away uh, at this yeah. point. Um, and you make a great point about Miami, Ohio State Fiesta Bowl, because I've been making reference to that. You and I are kind of on the same wavelength. That was a walk-off moment in overtime in the Fiesta Bowl, a fourth down play. Craig Krenzel is the quarterback of Ohio State, throwing into the end zone. The ball is incomplete. Miami is running on the field, celebrating. They've won in overtime the national championship game, the BCS title game. And then there's a flag on the field. So that is truly the call that decided the national championship game in that moment because the flag was thrown to this day. I'm no Miami fan. I know you live in South Florida, but I believe they got robbed. Uh, And look, the Cowboy fans with the Dez Bryant thing, horrible call in the playoff game five years ago now with the Packers. But there was still, see, fans, their memory fades. They don't remember the particulars and specifics. There was still five minutes left in that game. Yes, the call is awful in the Packers-Cowboys game, Kevin, but the the Cowboy defense, same premise as the Saints, could have stopped Green Bay, gotten the ball back, and had one more chance for a touchdown. I know you're on the road. I know it would have been first and goal at the one-yard line if if the Dez play counts. But there was five minutes left in this game. This game Sunday, still, your point, had two minutes of regulation still left, or a minute 40, whatever it was. If they do their job and stop Jared Goff, who dink and dunk them to death throughout the game, if they do that, then we're talking about the Saints and the Patriots in the Super Bowl on, on Sunday a week from now. And also, too, TJ, the other, a couple things. Even Des Bryant, we still don't know if it was a catch. Like, that was the point. If Des Bryant made the catch, we don't even know. Like, it was like we weren't sure, and that was in the time period where we don't know what a catch was. So, you know, just for that point. But as far as this, you got to remember a couple things here. Number one, that, uh, again, the Rams trailed just about most of that game. So the Saints had them, like, dead in the water, and they still couldn't close them out. And uh, Sean McVay went for it on fourth or uh, went for the field goal at fourth and inches where everyone said, come on, go for the touchdown. I don't have a problem with him not, you know, going for it because he would have never heard the end of it if they would have lost that game because he uh, went for it on fourth down. But also, Jared Goff, there was a face mask that people aren't talking yep. about on third down. Yep. And by the way, too, with Goff, I don't know if you remember that. I mean, you do probably remember the play. On Second down, I believe it was, on that drive before they kicked the field goal to tie it, he had this opening in the end zone that he could have ran in, and he just, like, stopped. He stuttered. He did something. He hesitated. That would have been the go-ahead touchdown. That would have, wouldn't even matter for the fourth down that they kicked the field goal. That, that was a play, too. That Jared Goff just runs two yards. He would have had a touchdown there. So it's just games are not decided for the most part 99 percent of the time games are not decided on one plate they really aren't there's so many other things that have to do with it but people want to complain about the call because it makes them feel better to complain about is one thing to write petitions and ask the nfl to replay the the game is utterly stupid file lawsuits there's a lawyer in new orleans that filed a lawsuit one of the uh one of the state representatives in in louisiana is wanting a, a legislative uh, emergency resolution to make them come back and play. Everybody's grandstanding for their moments in the sun. Again, uh, I, I want to set the table for you on Three Dog Thursday. We're going to talk a lot about the championship games here, a little bit about the Super Bowl. Obviously, there is no NFL game to pick because we're not picking the Pro Bowl. We say that every year on Three Dog Thursday. The AFC and the NFC can go play around in Orlando at the Pro Bowl game. We'll probably watch parts of it or the highlights. We're not worrying about what the line is for that. So we're going to pick some college basketball on the show today because this show morphs into college basketball. One NFL important game still left. That's the Super Bowl that's next week. Uh, Mike DeCourcy will be here from Sporting News. Longtime great Hall of Fame basketball writer will be here to help us talk some college hoops. So Kevin and I will be picking college hoop games a little later on. All right, I promise we'll get to New England and Kansas City and your thoughts on it in a second. Big discussion the last day or two that should penalties be under review now? Should the NFL Competition Committee, at least in some limited form, allow challenges and replay review of penalties Kevin, I'll let you go first, and I'll give my thoughts. What do you think? I want to say yes, but I don't want to say yes because of one play. This should, it feels like a long time ago, past interference penalties should at least, if it's something really obvious, it should happen. I, I'm, I'm really torn on it because I feel like this is a giving in to be like, oh, well, we're just going to change everything because this one call. 
you know, and again, it, it's all, it, it's all subjective. And this is why you don't do that. This is why in baseball and football and, and basketball, you're looking at if a play goes out of bounds or somebody steps on a line, you know, but this, you're going to get into this. This is going to be really tough that you have guys that get tangled up and they could call interference. And uh, yes, we know this was a blatantly obvious pass interference, but not every pass. This is, this was TJ. This was the exception, not the rule for pass interference. This was so blatant. We all know it was a pass interference, but there's going to be a lot of pass interferences that we're not really sure about. And it's going to change the course of the game because someone challenges it. And it's going to go either way. It's like, come on, that is or isn't, you know? Well, uh, th- this is what I will say, too, and I, I, I know Rich McKay's on the competition committee. The competition committee uh, decides these different rules on behalf of the teams, and he's the president of the Atlanta Falcons. He's the former GM of the Buccaneers. Kevin, I remember talking to him 20 years ago now, late 90s, when replay came back in, and one of the things he was saying then is we should have limited ability to challenge penalties that are wrong that are obviously wrong. He wanted the discussion then to be, how do we do this in limited form? Well, now he's made some recent comments where he's saying, look, we we can do this, but what is the standard? Is the standard that you're going to make it clear to both sides, to the fans, to the broadcasters, the only thing that we're looking at on this play is pass interference or not? That's the specific challenge. Because otherwise, you could challenge holding on every play. So you're Team A, Kevin, and you challenge pass interference. But I'm Team B over here saying to the refs and the NFL command center, I want them to look at holding on the left guard on this same play. Show me a slow-mo zoom because I think the left guard was holding too, and I want offsetting penalties on this play. So you've got to have some kind of policy restriction. The games are too long. Can I interject? You know what I do, Kevin. I'm part of the sideline broadcast of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The games in September and October are brutally hot as it is outside same with uh south florida in in uh uh hard rock stadium although they have put the the roof around the perimeter of it to make it a little cooler but it's it's hot it's hot in a lot of places you're there for three hours three hours ten minutes i don't need to be there for three hours and 45 minutes because we're reviewing every penalty the the subjective part like what you were talking about human beings trying to make the decisions we still have human beings trying to make the decisions and you just i i don't believe you go down the slippery slope of let's review every penalty because that's what you're going to have to do you're going to have to open it up that if i believe this guy jumped off sides we throw the challenge flag if i believe this guy was holding the left defensive end coming off the line of scrimmage i want to be able to challenge it Otherwise, I mean, you can't just limit it to, hey, we're only going to challenge pass interference as a penalty, right or wrong. You're going to have to make it for all the penalties. We'll be there four hours, Kevin. That's my point on that one. What's your what's your take on length of the game? And it's I mean, already it's, almost too long now. Look, I, I, I heard people say, who cares how long the game is, whatever. But still, it gets ridiculous. And it's not about timing. It's about reviewing every single play. There's a penalty problem in every single play, like, like there is. Yep. Like in any sport. There's probably a penalty in every single play. Look, they blew it. We all acknowledge they blew it. It was a blatant pass interference, okay? But chances are, nine times out of ten, that's called, okay? And for whatever reason, it wasn't called. Not because the fix was in, not because of anything else. They just missed it. And you know what? We don't know how they missed it, but they just missed it. And we can't start with reviewing that play and looking at every single thing because we're not going to we're not going to move forward with the game. And also, what needed to be fixed a few years ago was the catch. What's a catch? Right. What's not a catch? Because if we weren't sure what that was. Well, this we know what pass interference is. It just was missed, you know. And you know, it always goes back to this: Is it worse if you called something that wasn't, or do you miss something that should have been called? You know, so it's. It just was a bad call. Well, I would say this, too. I understand your point. And I would say say to you that that play Sunday is an aberration. That was an obvious, obvious, capital O underline, missed call that should be called 100 times out of 100 and probably is called 99 times out of 100. The problem is... Every weekend in the NFL, with all the games being played, there's 15 other pass interference ones where you could call it or not call it. And you could sit, are you with me, Kevin? You could sit and review yep. it for five minutes and not and not come to a complete conclusion, is it or is it not? So for every, 
every egregious definitive one like that, you're going to have 10 other ones where you can't tell, and yet you're still allowed to challenge or you're still reviewing it. So I, I, I'm just, I heard Gene Steratour talking about this too on the, uh, on the Showtime Inside the NFL with James Brown and Phil Simms and Boomer Esiason and Ray Lewis. They were sitting and kicking this around, and Steratour had a good point. He said the human element still has a role here. You're not talking about robots. You're not talking about barcodes and lasers. I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say that. I'm saying that. He said the human element is still part of this, and you still want the humans to mark the ball down on the field. It's not a laser marking the ball. You still want the humans to call the, the penalties, what they see with their own eyes here. So you're going to have to deal with the subjective part of this. Um, and I thought he made a, you know, a great point. You're still dealing with human beings. This is a guy that was a ref at the highest, at the highest level uh, of the NFL and actually worked the Super Bowl three years ago that was saying that. And, and the, one, the only suggestion that he had on penalties was if you use replay for the use of uh, illegal contact with the helmet, blow to the head, crown of the helmet, he said in college, uh, paraphrasing again here, they're already they're already doing this. Where if it wasn't called on the field as a penalty, you use the replay, and the replay booth can tell you yes, that's 15 yards, and or the player is ejected for helmet to helmet contact, which is what they do in college. He said, you know, you could move down that road, but in terms of the subjective, is he holding him or not? It was it offside? Did he jump offsides or not? Uh, is it an illegal formation? We get into all these different things on what do we challenge? We'll be there for four hours if you open that box and we're there long enough as it is. And for the crowd that says we'll get it right, they get it right most of the time. They get it right uh, 90, probably 95% of the time they get it right live. And the, and the replay's there to correct it a lot of the other time that they don't. It's just that Sunday there was no, there was no mechanism to get that one right with replay, and I don't think that there, that there will be. All right, so enough about the officiating. We, we put the Rams game to bed. Give me a quick take on the Patriots are back in the Super Bowl for the third straight year, the ninth time under Brady and Belichick incredible game with Kansas City with four lead changes, Kevin, in the fourth quarter. And then eventually New England wins in the overtime. They do what the Saints could not do. They get the overtime toss and drive right down the field, and Kansas City didn't even get a chance to possess the ball in the end. It's a touchdown. What are your thoughts on the Patriots? Well, number one, it's just incredible that, well, A, that they jumped out to that lead. Brady got picked off in the end zone. Would have really put the game away, I guess, early. The Chiefs made a great comeback, and I can't take that away from them. But uh, for New England to do what they did, go on the road, hostile environment, get down, go up, get down, go up, and still do what they did and Brady down the stretch, it's just amazing. And just a couple other notes. I mean, the Julian Edelman thing is unforgivable if they lost that game with him trying to pick up that punt. Mm. Like, why are you trying to pick up that punt? I don't get it. And then it goes back to the replay again. Like, did it hit his thumb or not? I don't think it hit his thumb. But, you know, why put yourself in that spot? You're smarter than that. Like, you're the Patriots. You don't do those things. You don't get near the ball. You you let it go. But, uh, you know, as far as that went and – you know, the the argument about getting the ball in overtime and each team should get the ball. No, they shouldn't. They changed. They made the rule better a few years ago by making you score a touchdown first. I mean, obviously, if you don't score, you kick the field goal, it's fine. But they made that rule. And the Patriots are two for two in the playoffs, beating the Falcons in the Super Bowl and winning this game a few days ago that make a stop. They went down the right. field, make a stop, and, and they couldn't. the Chiefs couldn't do it. So the Chiefs don't deserve to get the ball back. They know the rules. Let's stop changing the rules because we're upset. Like, this is what it's turning into, that we're upset with it. Let's change all the rules. No, make a stop, and you know what? You don't have to worry about changing the rules, but still a great win for the Patriots. And, yeah, for what they've done, it's just amazing. And the Chiefs fired their defensive coordinator, Bob Sutton, in the aftermath of this game because they could not stop him when it mattered the most at the end of that game, despite Mahomes and the offense and Kansas City. Andy Reid, by the way, now 2-10. and 2-10, and 10, Kevin Rogers, in postseason games decided by seven points or less. That is not a good record. And New England, again, as you mentioned, uh, never let the Chiefs and Mahomes get back out on the field. The Chiefs' defense couldn't stop them. You gotta, you, you, that says something on the road. The execution. How about Tony Romo? Tony Romo should have been the Chiefs' defensive coordinator. He's in the CBS broadcast booth telling us before it happened over and over again, okay, Gronkowski's going in motion, so this is a run on this play. Or Edelman's in motion in the slot, so this is they're, they're looking to see who's one-on-one. It's going to Gronkowski if the safety comes down. 
how how did the Chiefs not know this? How does Romo know this and the Chiefs aren't ready for it defensively? That's unforgivable if you're a Chiefs fan that uh, that New England executed the same way that they've come back on everybody using Edelman and Gronkowski over the middle, mixing the run. Uh, Brady has been doing this now for 18 football seasons. It's incredible to watch all of this unfold. It's uh, 17 that he's played. Of course, he was injured for the one. 18 total years, 17 actual years of playing. It's incredible to watch him rally a team, and they are back. I, I think it's fair to say, one more thought from you. We, we are watching something in the modern NFL that you're not going to see again. You're, ju- you're just not going to see the same head coach with the same quarterback, nine Super Bowls, three of them in a row, potentially a sixth Super Bowl win for these two. You're not going to see this again. Ever. Not 25, 50 years from now, not ever. It's an unbelievable thing. It really is that both of them have been able to do this with revolving door of players offensively, that you're not having the same guys, that it's just braiding a bunch of guys. That's what it really feels like. And I mean, they had Josh Gordon this season, and, and you know he didn't end up finishing the year with them. But you're going through Randy Moss and Wes Welker and Corey Dillon and Dion yep. Branch and just yep. all these guys, and it doesn't freaking matter. And still they get there. <laughs> they go on the road. They're losing. They still do it. And it's just it, it really is amazing uh, what they've done, regardless of what they do in the Super Bowl. But, uh, yeah, for people love them or hate them, you, you can't, you know, you can't look at them and say that's not impressive because it's absolutely impressive, especially at 41 to do what he's doing. Well, and yeah, that's another thing to be 41 years old to come back from a 28 to three deficit in a Super Bowl where there's just, I mean, there's no, there's no, uh, you run out of superlatives. There's, there, you run out of words to be able to keep utilizing all this. So again, the two road teams. Uh, and by the way, congrats to Kevin Rogers. While we're sitting here talking, you're four for four in the NFL postseason. Uh, two of them on the opening weekend, one of them on the divisional weekend, and now this uh, with the Eagles, and now this win uh, that you went with with the Rams over the Saints. I know both underdogs covered last week, uh, but hey, only one covered. Uh, in the divisional round, and Kevin had them. And so uh, four for four for you, bravo, on Three Dog Thursday, which now sets up the uh, the Rams and the Patriots. What do you make of the line immediately being uh, posted Sunday night? I saw this. I saw a couple news stories on it. The line was immediately posted as the Rams as a one-point favorite. Interesting. Neutral field in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. And within 10 minutes, there had been so much money poured in, either online or legally in Vegas, that the line moved to one and a half or two for New England, two and a half to three points in favor of New England now being the favorite. What do you make of that? Because you're our you're our insider, you're our our guru on this. Well, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, you know what you've just seen, and the Rams should have lost. Todd Gurley's hurt, or or he's not 100 percent, and what Brady did, they came back on the road. Patriots are going to win. They lost last year to the Eagles. And I think it's a lot of that. I know that sounds, uh, you know, really elementary, that breakdown, but that's kind of what it feels like, you know, that if it opened as a pick and the Rams got a lot of money, you say, whoa, what is that? I don't understand it. But I feel like it's easy to understand that the Patriots, because of what they are, they go to the Super Bowl every year. They lost last year. And the Rams, people feel like they shouldn't be there. The overreaction to the Saints game, that this is why it's moved up. And now you wonder if, you get value on the Rams if you wait a little bit. People are going to keep you know, betting on the Patriots. Or do the Lions makers just drop the ball and open the Patriots so low that maybe they should have opened them up higher? So that, that's kind of, I guess, the questions you, know, you have going into this game. All right, we've got plenty more time to talk about it. Patriots and Rams. Tom Brady's first Super Bowl against the St. Louis Rams in the Superdome, and they were an underdog there and came back and won. Now it's the L.A. Rams, and at the moment they are the underdog. Looks like they will be the underdog for this matchup in a week and a half. Kevin, stand by. College basketball on the brain. Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News coming up. we got underdog picks straight ahead after he's done. Lots of college hoops on the brains as well here for uh, this edition of Three Dog Thursday. Stay with us. Three Dog Thursday brought to you in part by Paradise Golf. Go to paradise-golf.com slash football. Find out more about how you can save half off up to a $55 value off the Winter Paradise card. If you're coming to West Central Florida to golf, if you're a snowbird, this card basically pays for itself within two times of you playing. Go to paradise-golf.com slash football. Sign up and save with Paradise Golf.
Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. As we do continue on, it is time to talk a lot more college basketball as we put the pigskin to bed mostly except for Super Bowl 53. Let's bring on one of my favorites. i got to bring credibility to the show here. God knows I don't have enough of it. Kevin Rogers tries to help me with it from VegasInsider.com. But this this guy definitely brings the cred. He is a uh, Basketball Riders Hall of Fame member. He does a great job covering college hoops for Sporting News at SportingNews.com. He is Mike DeCourcy back with me. First time in 2019 I've gotten to talk with you about the college hoops. It is our time. We're heading towards March. I love it. Good to be with you. You know, I was thinking about this in the last 24 hours, TJ. It's, it's a good thing for me that the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame thing happened for me before like people came back around to worrying about the steroids because, you know, that could have been a problem. But fortunately, <laughs> I got in before it was an issue. Yeah, you know, when we think about physical specimens that uh, were hitting a lot of home runs, striking a lot of people out, you think Bonds, you think Clemens, you think DeCourcy. So uh, exactly. I'm glad you did exactly. get in and get your, and get your vote in. Uh, on that. Uh, and by the way, Mike writes about a great many subjects, including Hall of Fames and overtime rules in football, as well as college basketball. But I hone in because college basketball is your your forte. I love your insight uh, on all of it. OK, so let's let's jump right in. Uh, what a great Saturday. I'm not overselling it. What a great Saturday to see Duke beat Virginia last weekend. Uh, you also had uh, Wisconsin knocking off Michigan for their first loss. A uh, great win for West Virginia over Kansas. I'll probably leave one out, but there were there were numerous games of interest. And if you need things to start heating up heading to March, Saturday was great for that leading into this week, sir. It was. It was a wonderful day of college basketball and and sort of an opportunity. I mean, that was the first Saturday without football for a while, and it was an opportunity for college basketball to take the stage and say, hey, you know what? It's not just about March. And I saw a note from ESPN's PR department today that said that that Duke-Virginia game drew an audience that averaged out to the mid-three millions, and it peaked at, a, at almost five. Wow. And so it was nice to see. You know, obviously they played a great game, and it was nice that, that, that people recognized it and watched. And, and it's a good sign for, for, for people who – say that it's a one-month sport and it's you know it's only about March that no it's not and you're wrong <laughs> I love that because you're absolutely right because there are things going on in January and February that basically set up March and big wins huge wins can set up your seed in your conference tournament they can set up your seed for the NCAA tournament uh, it's tremendous. It's tremendous, and we'll get to see it with Kansas and Kentucky, which I'll ask you a, a thought about here in a little bit. All right, I left out Tennessee in the roll call on this weekend. And look, I'm I'm born and bred in the great state of Tennessee, although at the opposite end of the state in Memphis, as <laughs> yes. you well know. That's why you left it out. That, from, those guys, from those guys that wear the orange on the other side of the state in the eastern part of the state in Knoxville. But better than me talk about well, what about the job Rick Barnes has done? Year three, they're number one in the country. Uh, remarkable how good they've gotten very quickly at Tennessee. What are your thoughts? It's phenomenal. And, and the stat that, that really blows me away about their success, DJ, is that they have reached number one in the country without a single player who was considered to be a consensus top 100 recruit, without one. they have, If you look – now, you know, when, when people ask me about who can win the national championship and I say, you know, these, these, you know, these guys, these guys, and these guys, and they say, well, what about Tennessee? You know, I point that out. I mean, there hasn't been – I think there's only been one team since the McDonald's All-American game was invented in about 77 or 76. But since, that, since the first class of McDonald's All-Americans got into college, there's only been one team, Maryland, in 2002 that's won a national championship without one of, at least one of those guys. And so it would be not unprecedented, but in the sense of not having a McDonald's All-American, it would be not unprecedented. But in the sense of having no top 100 recruits, if Tennessee were to pull it off, that would be unprecedented. It, it would be – you have to say – that if they were able to do that, that it might be the greatest 
single-season coaching job of all time. I mean, if you would win a national championship with nobody that everybody wanted, that, that would be amazing. Well, it's a great point that you make, and we see, you know, you know, look at last year, for example, uh, Loyola Chicago gets into the Final Four uh, as an underdog. This is an underdog-themed podcast with guys that are not McDonald's All-Americans or, or four- or five-star recruits, by and large, and we've seen other programs r- rise to it, whether you're talking about Wichita State recently or Virginia Commonwealth or Butler primarily. They are guys that... Most of the big boys did not want, did not offer, and it's kind of that way for Tennessee. And there, by the way, there are a lot of other Power Five programs that don't have five-star players, that don't have McDonald's All-Americans. There's only so many of them. Sometimes you coach up what you have, and and Rick Barnes, this just into the newsroom, has coached them up. Uh, whether you're talking about Providence or Clemson or Texas or now Tennessee, sir. Yeah, you know, and. It- Sometimes guys, you know, it, it, even coveted guys aren't just five-star guys. I mean, it, it, down to three stars, guys can be uh, really highly recruited because they might be in a region where uh, their talent is obvious to the coaches assembled. But in the case of Grant Williams, who grew up in North Carolina, right in the heart of ACC country, there weren't a lot of programs after him. And, and Rick saw something, and, I mean, look what he's got. He's got a guy who is – skilled on the perimeter, skilled in the post, defensively versatile, can guard multiple positions, can steal the basketball, can block shots. It, it, you know, now he's not an above-the-rim athlete, and that will affect him in the future, but right now it doesn't affect him at all. He's one of the best players in college basketball, without a doubt. If there weren't a Zion Williamson, he would be easily one of, if not the leaders for national player of the year he is he is just having a phenomenal season and and it is as part of a phenomenal career and again not a guy that was widely recruited same for admiral schofield who's developed into from a very good shooter into an elite shooter and he does that in a very you know strong physical body um they they they're getting better play uh developing uh, a point guard out of Jordan Bone. Uh, all, all across the board, Rick has done a fabulous job. And I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I knew that when, he was always a really good coach. But when he ran out of gas at Texas, I'll admit when Tennessee hired him, I didn't know if he had enough gas to make a difference there. I've always liked him as a coach going all the way back to Providence. And I still remember when, when he was at George Mason, and John Feinstein wrote his follow-up to a season on the brink called A Season Inside, a book that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and Rick was someone who was at George Mason at that point, and, and Rick was one of the people that he concentrated on and followed, and, I, and, I, and struck me as really bright. And then when he went to Providence, I was covering the league then, uh, and, he, and he turned out to be terrific. And then, obviously, I knew him well when he was at Texas, and he's always been somebody – it's it's somebody that you are happy to see succeed because he is easy to talk to, easy to get along with, quick with, uh, you know, a good, solid person. And so it's really nice to see him have this kind of success again. Love the insight of Mike DeCourcy with me for just a few more moments. He's a busy guy. You see him on the Big Ten Network on Big Ten Basketball and Beyond on SundayNightSportingNews.com, National Columnist and College Basketball Hall of Fame writer, Love his insight. Um, All right, the ACC, it it certainly is one of the best. I know know computer rankings being what they are. The Big 12 uh, has a better computer ranking. The Big 10 has a better computer. The ACC, deep, competitive. The thing is, beyond North Carolina and Virginia, the argument can be made. You've got several teams. Who's the third best? Who's the fourth best? Anybody can beat anybody. Give uh, Give me some quick thoughts on the ACC and below that. Well, I think that Duke and Virginia are both strong national championship contenders and and probably at, at a higher end than any other league has. I mean, both Michigan and Michigan State can win it. Uh, but I think that if you said, okay, give me a league from which the national champion is going to come, that would be my first choice. Uh, I think both of those teams have a great shot. I think that Michigan State and Michigan have very good shots. Uh, and then the, the rest are scattered around Gonzaga here, uh, 
you know, and, and a few others elsewhere. But uh, I, I think that it, it's, a, it's a good, strong league from, I guess, the waist up. You don't want to look, you know, you don't want to look down at the knees, man. Um, Here we go it, with physiques again, DeCourcy. You've you're got a theme on this interview, physiques. We don't want to think about the waist down. I got you. I, you know, I, 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 I'm caught, you know, the, the, the bottom of the ACC is really problematic and has been for a while. It, it hasn't always been the same group. But, I mean, like a year ago when Pitt won no games and they were non-competitive in most of the ones they played before, uh, uh, before Jeff Capel came along to re-energize the program, and it, now you you know you've got Georgia Tech not playing very well and Wake not playing very well, uh, that's a problem for for the ACC that maybe doesn't exist as much in the SEC or the Big Twelve and certainly not in the Big Ten uh, at the same level. Um, you know the, the the last place team, zero and eight in conference play, Penn State beat one of the ACC's contenders. Um, I don't think you're going to see Wake beat anybody at that level, and you haven't to this point. So that's a problem for them, but at the very top, uh, they are powerful. Florida State can beat anybody. They get, they also beat themselves on too many right. occasions. They can beat anybody. Virginia Tech, rock solid. Uh, Carolina still trying to find the fastball, but I think they're getting closer well, they, good lord! Know, good, if I can interject, good lord! They got a hundred points Monday night, so that was improvement. And they do, yeah. they do have a couple of wins. The Gonzaga home win looks good, but then again, Louisville drummed them at home. But still, did they find something Monday? Real quick, I thought they did. Yeah, I mean, I thought that that was it. it really, it, since the Louisville debacle, they've been good. And Monday night, they were pretty close to great. And so, I think that they have to be excited in Chapel Hill right now. All right, good stuff. This is an underdog-themed podcast on Three Dog Thursday, so I pose it this way to you, Mighty One. Who are we not talking enough about? You have the pick of any conference, any team, but it's not a leading, contending, top-rung team. Give me a team that we should be talking more about in kind of an underdog role. Watch them in in February. Watch them as March comes around. You know, uh, right now, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Big Ten Network studios and there was, you know, just having been following the, the, the teams in the league uh, through December. And it was, early, it was, I think it was maybe my first weekend back, back in the studio as the league season started. And there was so much negativity about Iowa. And I'm not talking about within the network, right? I'm just talking about around the game. And it was just, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, what's wrong with them? And, and I look at their record, I'm like, they're 13-3, and three, man. Like, how bad is it? And they haven't lost since then. And on Saturday, they could have scored 500 points. They made five threes in a row at one juncture. Uh, they were playing Illinois, not the best team in the league, and they were playing at home. Uh, and Illinois had some travel issues and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, they could have scored a, they could have scored a million on Sunday. They, they are so good offensively. They are – a year ago, they were maybe the worst defensive power conference team. They were certainly the worst over 500 power conference team on defense. But even at that, they had an offense that ranked in the top 20. And I, I said it, on BTN back in December, I said if they could just get the defense into the double digits, out of 242, get up to – you know, 95 or, and maybe, you know, obviously like to shoot, see better than that, but if they can just get it to double digits, that offense could carry them a long way. And they are now there's 97 last I looked that might've changed since then. And the offense now is ninth. I mean, they, they, they can really score and they've got 10 guys legit who can get 15 on a given night if they need to. Uh, and so they, they, you can't just go out and say, okay, we're going to stop Tyler cook. If you do, they've got, four other guys that can get 20 and and Tyler's pretty good about absorbing that attention and finding his spots he's not allowed it to frustrate him love this insight so Iowa bravo how about that we uh, we were definitely diverse because we talked a little Tennessee in the SEC we talked a little ACC and now Mike squeezes in some Big Ten with those Hawkeyes keep an eye on them I could go on and on but you've got a role so do we 
Promise me that I get to break bread with you again on the airwaves, and I hope to see you down the road when we get towards Minneapolis and the Final Four. Still figuring all of that out, but it's uh, it's something that we've gotten to do frequently. I love getting to talk college basketball with Mike DeCourcy, so thank you for continuing, as I like to joke, to take my call, my text message, whenever I need to talk some college hoops. Mike DeCourcy's there. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the insight. When you said break bread, I thought we were gonna you and me and Mark Wise are gonna hook there up. There we go. The, final four. the dinners, that the dinners. Awesome and night, one of man. these years, one of these years, Wise will pick up the check. Because it seems as though you've done well, it before. I, I would rather rather than him pick up the check, I would rather he capitulate on giving up his bad idea to expand the NCAA tournament <laughs> even Thank farther. You. Yes. If he would do that, I would pick up the check. We will continue to buy the meals for him while we bash Mark Wise of ESPN and Florida Gator Radio Network fame. If he will stop talking about more than 68 teams, we'll keep buying his meals down the road. I, I owe you I owe you at least a uh, an appetizer here at some point. Thank you for hopping on Three Dog Thursday. Great stuff, Mike DeCourcy. Thanks, DJ. Back in once more on the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs as we talk college hoops now. we got to get into the groove. Kevin Rogers is back with me, Senior Handicapper, VegasInsider.com. Uh, lots of college basketball because, again, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, no, the Pro Bowl is just a silly all-star game, so we're not talking about that. The Super Bowl is the last football game of the football season. So we become intensive now in college hoops. Uh, we are revved up to watch all of this uh, unfold here over the next five, six weeks and head to Selection Sunday, right? Yeah, this is a really good time of year, and understandably, you know, there are a lot of football fans that, are you know not happy that football is over with what am i going to do now but you know this is really for me for college basketball i said this to you probably multiple times over the years i'm repeating myself but i'll say it again my favorite time of college basketball is that january through the end of february like i love all the conference games i think there's so many opportunities there i know everyone loves march madness uh you know i, I feel like it's very hard to handicap now the NCAA tournament, but that January and February, and I guess the first week of March or so to wraps up the regular season, I think is the best part of the college basketball year. There's just so much going on, and I think that it's really a lot of fun. Well, take a look at just this past Saturday at the time that we're taping here on Three Dog Thursday with uh, Michigan taking their first loss early in the day. Conference play at Wisconsin. Duke beats Virginia at home at Cameron for Virginia's first loss uh, of the year. You had uh, West Virginia conference play gets a win over Kansas. Um, Tennessee's the new number one. They barely survived with Alabama. Um, at the time we're taping here, Tennessee is playing Vanderbilt. We don't know the outcome. You may know the outcome of the Vols as the number one team in the country uh, playing midweek, but they're the number one team for the first time in 41 years since going back to Bernard and Bernard King and Ernie Grunfeld, the Ernie and Bernie show. That's the last time to be the number one ranked team in the country. So truly, it is It is fascinating to watch all of this. Uh, I'm into it. Huge college basketball fan, as are you. So we pledge that we're going to talk a lot of college hoops. That's what Three Dog Thursday morphs into every January, February, all the way into March, and then the Final Four, which is this year in Minneapolis. So that being said, here's what we have to work with. We have the Thursday lines in front of us for Three Dog Thursday. Again, you may be listening later in the weekend, and you already know how we did with our Thursday games when we make these picks. Right now, we're picking those in advance. When we talk about Saturday, Kevin and I don't have the actual lines available to us at the time that we are taping, but we will make educated guesses on who the favorites will likely be if we're picking a Saturday game. And I've even got one for Saturday in this case that we'll go over uh, that's one of those uh, SEC Big 12 Challenge games that's taking place on Saturday. So lots of good college hoops. Uh, Kevin, I'll let you tee one up first. What do you like for Thursday with the lines out? Give me a game, an underdog, and why? I'm going to go Conference USA. I'm going to go with the Blazers of UAB. They're going to North Texas. Wow. Take on the Mean Green. And a lot of this, it's a little contrarian. UAB, just to lay it out, they've been a bad road team. But they have. You know, they're 0-2 on the road in conference play compared to 3-0 at home. They've lost their last eight conference games as a road underdog uh, dating back to last year. So, yeah, they're not great in this role, and they're getting seven. They open up the seven-point underdog against North Texas. North Texas is a very good team. However, though, they have a couple uh, X's on them that uh, they're one and four against the spread in their last five. All five of those games decided by seven or less. So they've been very competitive games for North Texas. They beat Rice in their opener big, and since then every game 
uh, and I, I said by seven or less. I think three of the games have been decided by four points or less. So North Texas has had a lot of close games or three and eight ATS or last 11 as a favorite. I just think that UAB, you know, they, they have played some tough teams on the road so far in conference play. I think that they, uh, they hang with North Texas here in this one. How about that? A Conference USA game to start us off on Thursday night. Uh, and that's an interesting one because North Texas is one of the better teams right now in that conference. Um, all right, so there, there's that with UAB. You get the seven points. I'm going to go Pac-12 after dark here and look at the Arizona State Sun Devils. Late night game, 8 p.m. in the West, 11 p.m. Thursday night in the East. Arizona State, a slight underdog on the road at Pauley Pavilion. UCLA, Kevin, having already fired Coach Steve Alford. It's a unusual move during the season, especially early in the season, to see a big-time program delete its coach. But that's what UCLA did. How bad must it have been behind the scenes not just with the play on the court, but his relationship with the AD, etc. So Alford gone. Murray Bartow is the interim coach. Murray Bartow has been a longtime college coach and assistant. He's the son of former UCLA coach Gene Bartow, who replaced the legend John Wooden. So now we come back around 40 years later, the son replaces Steve Alford as interim coach. So UCLA won the first three games with Murray Bartow as the interim. They've lost a couple of them now, including to the rival USC. They're still a favorite at home against an Arizona State team that has won a couple of conference games they won the last time out against Oregon I like Arizona State as an underdog why they are two one and one as an underdog this year the two wins are against Kansas at home and on a neutral floor with Mississippi State they were an underdog in both of those games and one outright they get a point here I think they'll beat UCLA in the Thursday night game give me Bobby Hurley's Sun Devils at Pauley Pavilion over UCLA I will take them as the second of our Thursday night underdogs getting a point there in that one. Now, on Saturday, we don't have the lines in front of us again. As I've as I've couched this, we're, we are looking, though, at a Kansas-Kentucky matchup where Kentucky at home will likely be favored. Kevin, uh, help me here, at least by a couple of points and maybe four or five points. The Wildcats won earlier in the week impressively, speaking against Mississippi State. They, they throttled Mississippi State. Uh, look like they're rounding into form. Kansas had to roar from behind to beat Iowa State Monday night at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. So Kansas, uh, fair, they're going to be an underdog here against Kentucky, right? Yeah, I mean, Kansas to Ray has been an underdog at Iowa State earlier in the year when they lost to the Cyclones before they just beat them, like you mentioned, on Monday night. And Kentucky coming off a blowout win over Mississippi State, a ranked Mississippi State team. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's very hard to find. Kentucky as a, as a home underdog, unless they were playing a team that was nineteen and zero coming in. That's right. not the case with Kansas, so I, I think it's fair to say that. Kansas so again, this is the marquee game, SEC Big Twelve Challenge. Diedrich Lawson, the transfer from my University of Memphis Tigers, has sat a year. He's one of the stars for Kansas. Is a, a double double guy. Had a huge game against Iowa State. I just I like them going into Rupp Arena. Kansas has been battle-tested here in some games. I know they lost narrowly to Arizona State, as I just laid out, but they also have a win over Villanova out of the conference. A great win for them Monday. I will take the, jo- the Jayhawks, Rock Chalk Jayhawk. I think they may shock Kentucky coming on uh, Saturday night in this game, so I'll take them as the underdog for the third and final underdog in college basketball for you and me on Three Dog Thursday. All right, so there we go on those. You've already alluded to great information that the fans can find. Tell them more. But with uh, with, with Vegas Insider, you know, now it's, you know, I guess you call it the bye week now in between the conference championships and the Super Bowl. But still we're preparing our uh, big, you know, Super Bowl package, I guess. Not, not picks, but as far as what we put out from a content standpoint, we're putting together our 53 super betting angles, that we do every single year. Obviously, the number goes up by one with every year at the Super Bowl, so you get a lot of cool angles going into the game. Also, we'll have pieces, advantage Patriots, advantage Rams, advantage over, advantage under. So look for those to come out probably by midweek next week. And uh, also, our handicappers are starting to roll in with picks, and uh, that'll wrap up the NFL season. But like we talked about, college basketball still ongoing, NBA still ongoing, NHL hitting the all-star break this weekend, but they'll be back coming up next week. So still a lot of action once the football is done. I mean, we have one game left, but still a lot going on, and there's a lot of opportunities to win. Check us out at VegasInsider.com or on Twitter at TwitVI. And follow this man at VI Rogers. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter. Love his humor. 
Uh, he was not a big fan of Dowell Logans, the offensive coordinator of the Miami Dolphins, who looks like he's leaving to go to the Jets. You said you would help him pack and that the, the, the Dolphin fans should help him fly and then, and then move him in in New York, if that's the case. He <laughs> uh, was terrible. It was terrible. Yes. Yeah, Adam Gates can have him. He was terrible. I mean, that's one of those things of, you know what, even if you have good friends and all that, doesn't mean that they can work well with you. And that's what Adam Gates does. Everybody I know, I'm going to hire them, but the, the offense stunk with him. So, no, I meant more of that the Dolphins, not the fans, but the Dolphins should actually fly him. Stephen Ross should fly him on his plane <laughs> to New York and drop him off there and say, here, have him, please. You know, and oh. they, they said that he's going to get permission. No, no, here, you can take him. You can have him. Yeah, we'll see what the Dolphins do with their coaching hire. And, again, get all the great information at VegasInsider.com, but follow Kevin at VI Rogers with his insight. You can Follow them at TwitVI. Follow this show at Three Dog Thursday. Again, Kevin's got UAB on Thursday night plus the seven against North Texas in college basketball. I like Arizona State Thursday night getting one against UCLA. So, again, you may already know those results as we head to the weekend. I'll take Kansas against Kentucky in the SEC Big 12 Challenge at Rupp Arena. I'll go with Kansas. Kevin, good luck with the underdogs. Thank you, as always. We appreciate the insight. We'll get ready for Super Bowl 53 next week. All right. Thank you, TJ. There's Kevin Rogers. My thanks also to Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News talking college hoops with us. Again, you found the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs. Subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Find us at radioinfluence.com slash Three Dog Thursday. Also, there's the Three Dog Thursday Morning Minute on Alexa and your Google Dot, etc. Subscribe to the Three Dog Thursday Morning Minute. For Kevin Rogers, I'm TJ Reeves. Enjoy the college hoops. Lots of Super Bowl talk next week on Three Dog Thursday. Bye. This is a Landry football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence. When you put the wrong team in or when you make an egregious mistake like that, then, you know, that's to me when it's this egregious, when it's this clear and you don't do anything about it. This is this is like stealing. And I'm not exaggerating with that. I don't mean it that it was done on purpose. I don't mean it that it was done in any conspiratorial way. I mean it as it, it it was a complete collapse of a process that now needs to be changed. I have said, and many of you have heard me talk about, that because of technology, you know, people have said, officiating's getting worse and worse. I got to tell you, officiating's not getting worse. Officiating is getting more exposed because of modern technology. We can see the flawed calls calls and the mistakes that are taking place. Chris Landry brings you Landry Football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.